This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 27, Comic Reviews for the week of November the 14th. Welcome to the show. This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 27. We're looking at comic, uh, the comics that were released November 14th uh, this past week, and we're just uh, reviewing them. Uh, I'm at your host, Adam Chapman. I'm a reviewer for CXPulp.com, also CGMagazine.ca. You may have read my work before, or you're a regular listener to the podcast, or if you're a new listener, welcome to Comic Shenanigans. Uh, so this week, we had a, a fair bit of comics come out. Uh, i got to say, I wasn't that impressed with some of the stuff that was coming out, but uh, let's start out alphabetically at the top so we got all new x-men number one so this is a a big launch for uh, the marvel now era uh as brian michael bendis is finally leaving the avengers uh you know kind of sector of the marvel universe which he's been in well i guess since late 2004 uh so it's been a long time it's been almost eight it's been a little bit more than eight years so now he's going to jump over to the x-men and start writing uh, x stories uh so this has been a, hi- a highly hyped and heavily promoted launch uh, everyone kind of, I think, has a general concept of what the uh, the idea behind this new book is, where we're going to be having the original five X-Men at some point in their history coming to the future and kind of interacting and seeing what's happened to the X-Men and uh, Cyclops and the rest uh, in the current era. Obviously, there are a lot of differences. I mean, if you're Beast, you're seeing your blue furry self. If you're Jean, you're seeing that you're dead. If you're Angel, you're seeing that you don't look anything really like yourself. You look kind of weird and hippie-ish and you don't act like anything like yourself and you've got metallic wings uh and if you're you know and if you're beat, uh, cyclops you're seeing what's become view if you're iceman i guess you're the only one who's kind of like i'm not a snowman anymore not a bad thing uh but the rest uh major changes and now this book is by uh the artworks by Stuart Immonen, but the writing is by brian michael bendis i gotta say i actually kind of enjoyed this book uh i was expecting not to enjoy it nearly as much as i did I'm still not a huge fan of Cyclops being a villain of sorts and really just being Magneto, but I do kind of like the idea that he's kind of gone back to that core philosophy of he's finding mutants before they can be lynched or killed or what have you and saving them and bringing them over to his side. I mean, it's just now he's not really on the good side. But, I mean, that's at least from that part, I thought that, like... I haven't liked a lot of how they've been writing uh, Cyclops recently, but here I actually thought that it kind of made sense that that's not that different from what he's usually been doing. Uh, now, the major kind of aspect of this story that sets it apart is that there's going to be a heavy time travel uh, comp- component, and that's where it kind of fell apart for me because uh, Hank McCoy did something really dumb. Uh, he goes back in time, and he's starting to mess with and say, like, you know, I need Scott Summers to tell his, his uh, present self that he's being an idiot, pretty much, uh, and I kind of like that throughout the issue you had Iceman saying, you know, what would our younger self say, and as much as I know that that was very, like, deliberate, like, not even foreshadowing, it's just more like, hey, look what we're going to be doing, uh, I actually like that he was saying that, because people do say that often, I mean, I've recently said that to my wife, I mean, we were on a trip, and we were listening to music, and I was making fun of her, because we were listening to this music from, like, 93, 94, when she was, like, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, uh, in the early 90s, and she used to be into, like, some punk music, and now she's, like, more mainstream, I've heard her, I've caught her listening to some Taylor Swift, and I'm like, what would your younger self say if they could hear you now, and, and hear what you're listening to now, and she's just like, shut up, because <laughs> she knew I was making fun of her, but, I mean, we've all kind of had that moment where we're like, what would our younger selves think of what we've become, would they be happy, would they be sad, um, would they be impressed, so, it's kind of an interesting uh, thing to go take the X-Men and have the X-Men kind of confront this idea of this is what happens to you in the future. 
Um, it remains to be seen where it goes. I mean, there is a bit of decompression here. There's a fair amount that happens as well, but, but you see a lot of the same beats because you have uh, Cyclops, you know, defending and protecting a few different new mutants. Um, but you're just kind of seeing variations on a theme, so not a lot really happens. But as a, as a debut, is pretty strong. I mean, you got a good sense of where everyone kind of lies. I'm not sure how I feel about Henry McCoy going through yet another mutation, and I, that part I don't really give uh, a, lot, a lot of interest towards, but overall, Bendis at least has me interested, if nothing else, so I will pick up the next issue and read it for sure. I give it an 8.5 out of 10. The artwork by Stuart Eminem is extremely strong. Uh, that brings us to Amazing Spider-Man number 697. Uh, now, next next week is the big issue, 698. It's supposed to be like this big one that slots very protective over, and there's something huge is going to happen. Uh, that being said, so this issue kind of concludes the Goblin storyline that we're dealing with right now. Uh, kind of unexpected in certain ways it goes, but for the most part, I really enjoyed it. Um, Slot has really done a great job writing Spider-Man. Again, we're seeing things not quite as... I just, I really enjoyed this issue. I mean, Cam and Coley does great artwork. Um, I like the idea that you can have Peter kind of acting as Spider-Man, but not enough that necessarily people put it together, but... You know, it, that he's, like, using web shooters and under the guise of Peter Parker, and it's believable because of who he is now in the public eye, being this guy who helped create a lot of Spider-Man's toys. Uh, I love Max Modell as a character, especially now that he has, uh, you know, his own protective force field he's working on. The two goblins fighting, it doesn't really work with for me a lot, only because I don't buy Phil Yurick being able to be that confident, opposed to Roderick Kingsley, who's, like, the best hobgoblin ever. Um, that being said, there's some interesting stuff here. We finally get to see where Harry Osborn's been, and I kind of like that. I, I wonder if it'll lead into something more, but I did like that part. Uh, there's Spider-Man kind of dealing with his Spider-Sense being jammed and, and overloaded, and him kind of centering himself like he used to with Shang-Chi, having a weird little, uh, sp- kind of spider, uh, uh, almost like a spider glider. Uh, some just really fun stuff. Uh, good artwork, good story. I'm interested to see where they go next. I... We really like how Kevin Coley illustrates the Kingpin. He looks fearsome. Um, yeah, some really, really interesting stuff. I'm interested to see where the whole the golden uh, octopus thing is all going, what it means. I'm interested more, actually, to see what it means that Norman Osborn's woken up and is, and is gone. Like, what does that mean? Because, um, you know, to be honest, I was like, is that a different Norman? Am I thinking of someone else? Because it can't be Norman Norman. And I looked it up, Norman Virgil Osborn, and there he is in Wikipedia. No, it's the Green Goblin. So I'm like, okay. I don't remember him necessarily being put into a coma after his most recent Avengers escapades, but I guess that makes sense. Uh, the last page, we find out a little bit more about what uh, Kingpin's doing. Uh, it's not Kingpin. Hobgoblin is pretty much, he's going to... He's kind of letting uh, Phil Yurik survive to live, and he's going to start a new franchise elsewhere. And I kind of like this idea that he's become this kind of career criminal who's really actually making money off of it and starting a, like his own franchise. It's almost like Hobgoblin Inc. in his own way. Um, so actually, yeah, I'm quite Douglas. I'm sad. I'm really scared about Superior Spider-Man because I really hope it's good, and it's got a creative team I like. It's just and I love Slot. I just I'm a little bit nervous because I'm just enjoying his current run of Spider-Man so much. Uh, I gave this an eight out of ten. Next up is uh, Avengers Assemble, number 9. Now, this is the first non-Bendis-written issue of this book. Um, To be flat-out honest with you, I did not enjoy this at all. I found this uh, very... uh, You know, I guess at the end of the day, this this was a book that was trying too hard, and trying too hard to be the movie universe. Um, It 
really felt like I mean the first arc you still felt like it was it was kind of centered in the Marvel universe but they were obviously trying to make you think of uh, the movie universe the cinematic universe but this goes much too far in the like Banner's hanging out in Avengers Tower again we haven't seen this anywhere else like we've seen that he's having cake with and fighting over a cake with Wolverine and a, a plus X, but we haven't really seen that he's an actual Avenger now and just hanging out in the tower and Bruce Banner's working and doing his own thing. And it just didn't feel right. And the way that both Banner and Stark are written here is purely, purely how they would be written in the movie cinematic universe, not in the comics. Uh, some of it's not necessarily bad. It's just a lot of this just didn't. It fell flat. It was far too long. Some of the extended sequences with Tony and ban- Banner bantering, uh, even the way that Thor was written here, isn't necessarily all that well. Um, uh, and then like Wolverine, ah, just some of the stuff. I'm just like kind of flipping through it now. It really kind of gave me pause, made me almost gave me a headache because it was just it was trying too hard. It was stuff I didn't want to see, and it wasn't enjoyable. It it just. Ugh. Kelly Sue DeConnick is a good writer, and this was not her best work at all. This was not a good example of what she's good at. Um, no, I just didn't like this. And having, like, uh, Wolverine and Carol Danvers making popcorn, and him, him being like, you burned it because I could smell it. Uh, not cool. That's not interesting. Uh, it's a waste of the artist, too. I mean, Stefano Casella is a fantastic artist. This is not his best work. It's actually, it's, it's okay. It just looks like almost rushed for him. Uh... Actually, no, I take that back. I'm flipping through it. No, it is still pretty good artwork. It's just a waste of the artwork because the issue is horribly written and just not all that interesting. And uh, it's not the char- the way I like these characters to be written at all. I gave this a 5 out of 10. Ugh, just did not enjoy it. Uh, next up is Background number 14. Now, this, this was a really good book. Uh, Gil Simone wrote it. Artwork by Ed Bennis. Uh, it's extremely creepy. Um, the artwork by Bennis is absolutely fantastic. There's... Uh, this is this is Barbara Gordon kind of being pushed and having to practically abandon her, you know, kind of her roommate and be like, you know, I gotta move out, I gotta get out of here because you can't know I'm too close to everyone because people are gonna die. Um, it just it's really creepy. This is a really creepy version of the Joker. I don't really know how much to say. A lot of this is just mood. I mean, this is a moody, moody issue where you've got Batgirl just overcoming fighting to overcome her rage because she's never come in this continuity come face to face with the joker after he crippled her so he she's scared but she's also just angry and she's full of rage and she wants to you know save her mother and uh it's just this is brutal and gruesome and the last is the last page is really kind of weird and creepy and bennis is a great version of this new joker with like the, the the old joker face like hanging off him oh it's, it's delightfully creepy i give this an eight out of ten extremely good uh what's even better than that batman 14 uh last issue was basically a tremendous fake out and a, and a well done one by scott snyder and greg capullo because uh, it looked like uh well not really a fake out uh it's like a double fake out because uh, when you're reading this you're like okay well maybe joker doesn't know that Bruce Wayne is Batman. But then by the end, it certainly sounds like he does. So it'd be interesting to see where that goes. Um, but this is an extremely, you know, moody issue because, again, Joker is almost... He, he says a lot here, but he's almost creepier because just because he's around. He's back. And Batman knows that he's con- that Joker's coming for him. He's coming for his allies. And, you know, you have him. He's already taken Alfred. And, and, and the idea that ba- you really see Batman reconnecting with the fact that, like, you know... In many ways, Alfred is like a, is a father. He's a father figure. He's taking care of him. And the fact that he he's out there and he's captured by the Joker is almost too much for him to bear. And then Gordon gets poisoned by the Joker as well. And it's just 
Batman's just freaking out and he doesn't know what to do. And so he, he knows what to do as a detective, but this is a version of the Joker who's just as prepared, if not more prepared, than Batman is. And it's extremely creepy. The artwork for Capullo is extremely energetic, but like he just captures the raw, the raw nerve of everything that's going on in the story. It's extremely good. I'll give this a 9 out of 10. Uh, if you're not buying Batman, you should really at least pick this up when it's collected, as De- uh, Death of the Family is so far extremely enjoyable one of the better Joker stories just so far because this is Joker, he's chaotic but he's got a plan and he's not messing around and he's just kind of coming out of nowhere and Batman's been busy and occupied with other things and now Joker's going to hit him where it hurts and he's he's not messing around, he's ready to take to really he's really ready to draw blood so no, really, really good stuff uh, next up is Batman and Robin number 14, uh, I gotta say I'm really enjoying Batman and Robin just in general I really like the relationship between Bruce and Damien as it's been developed by Tomasi. Uh, it's ex- just it's extremely engaging just to see how, how Bruce re- really reacts as a father, an actual father. I mean, he's he's been a partner to you know young sidekicks before. He's become an adopted father, but this is his own flesh and blood. And just seeing how he reacts is quite interesting. Um, I don't give, necessarily care a lot for the weird zombie things that they're up against, but uh, no, it definitely was really really solid issue in the last page i mean it almost feels out of character but uh, i feel like i feel like it's been earned because uh, you have batman telling damien that you know he's proud of him and you might as well have said like i love you son because that's how important this is because damien's always got this feeling like he's batman doesn't trust him batman isn't proud of him batman doesn't care and that he's always trying and it's interesting as much as damien's usually portrayed as being a jerk he really does want his father to care he does want his father's approval it's why he's taking up the mantle of robin that's why he's trying to kind of make him proud and he's a twisted character but deep down just like just as much as batman is batman is trying to win his father's approval his father's dead his father can't give him his approval here Damien wants Batman's approval, and Batman's so cut off they just can't. And now here, finally, he tells him he's proud of him, and then you end with this wonderful shot of him hugging. And again, it feels extremely earned. Like, this is something that the readers and the characters have really earned, this this emotional moment of connection, and I really dug this. Uh, I give it an 8 out of 10. Brings us to Deathstroke number 14. So we're on, we've been on a high. The last three books have been really good. This one, not so much. Well, that being said, I didn't pick up a lot of the... Uh, the first year of Deathstroke. I've read a couple issues here and there. Uh, the plot here is by Rob Liefeld. This is uh, part three of a Hawkman Wanted storyline, I guess. So I feel like I didn't even read the last issue in this own book. Uh, scripting is by Josh Williamson. Pencils are by Eduardo Pensica. Actually, not bad stuff. It, it's kind of interesting just that, you know, his here the suit that Deathstroke is wearing is made of uh, nth metal and he kind of has this weird connection with Hawkman as a result again I don't really know much about this incarnation of Hawkman but I kind of dug this issue it was very it was action-packed it was you know it wasn't really it was kind of an interest the the tiny bits we got into Deathstroke's own personality what he's up to what what he's kind of thinking and how he interacts with Hawkman and the fact that he's trying to get through to Hawkman to say like I'm not really here to fight you I want to get answers I want to know more about the anthem metal in my armor it was actually kind of interesting it's not high it's not high fiction it's not the best thing I've ever read but you know what it was it was serviceable that's why I gave it a 6 out of 10 it's not that bad it's just it's not necessarily something I need to read, read again um, but it definitely had its its you know, its own uh, points, you know, it, it, it was much better than I would have expected it to be. Uh, next up is Fantastic Four number one. Now, 
Originally, when I was thinking about this, I was going to give it a pretty high rating, like an 8 or a 9. But then logic creeped in my head, and I get knocked it down to a 7. Uh, this is by Matt Fraction and Mark Bagley. Uh, I really like Mark Bagley as a penciler. People who know me and have read my you know, my reviews before, etc., and know kind of my opinions and artists, I love Mark Bagley. Um, this is some really strong artwork by his, too. Like, I think he's got like a great creative team here, and... I actually kind of like some of the the aspects that Fraction was trying to build on here. He's basically trying to say, you know, this is still, you know, in the same universe as the Matt Fraction, sorry, not Matt Fraction, Jonathan Hickman version of Fantastic Four and the FF. I mean, everything that happened there happened, so they're still wearing those costumes and they're still part of the Future Foundation. Um, you know, the, everything is definitely coming out of there. However, things are different. Um, I guess the, my main problem with this is that Reed Richards doesn't make a lot of sense here because he gets injured or some kind and he first of all unstable molecules is what they wear not what are part of their power so that's the strike number one against fraction second of all if there was really something wrong that uh, reed richards needed to fix i don't think he would lie to his entire family and take them on a journey with the school uh, to you know other universes for exploration etc i think he would talk to them and work through it plus you have franklin richards who has godhood powers of like a god who in the future will make, you know, Galactus his own herald. Um, it just doesn't make a lot of sense that he couldn't have done something about this. Because um, Franklin Richards is learning more about his powers all the time. Why couldn't he have done something to kind of help? Uh, or to help fix it? Or, you know, it just... I, I guess I'm just irked by the fact that, um, you know, he's gone this way through Richards. I don't doubt that something like this could happen to his powers and... You have this somber shot of him realizing that something's really wrong. And that's fine. I just feel like it doesn't make a lot of sense to really see him lie to his family like that. Uh, it just didn't work for me. Especially after everything that's happened in the last few years in Jonathan Hickman's run. He wouldn't lie to his family again after everything that's happened. I mean, he's already had some doozy of lies. Um, so that part didn't really work for me. So that's why it only got a 7 out of 10. Because other than that, like I think he really got to the core of some of these characters. And it was kind of a nice flashy bright new beginning and we're gonna go off and do science and have adventures and i like that part instead of them just being superheroes but actually being adventurers again that's all cool but i don't want that at the expense of reed richards being an intelligent and and good family man this just didn't he undercut his ability to really be like a, a father figure when he's just lying to his family in such an egregious way i just didn't appreciate that uh, so give that a 7 out of 10. Next up is Gambit number 5. Now this was much, 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 much better than it has been. Uh, the last couple issues really fell off the wagon for me. The first two issues were pretty solid. The last two issues were not. Uh, now the artwork here is by, uh, I guess, a fill-in artist. Uh, Diogeni Neves, or Neves. I, I apologize, I have no idea how to pronounce that. It's written by James Asmus. Um... I actually really like this because again, this is this is a heist. This is Gambit, uh, you know, pulling off a heist, and he's working with uh, well, under duress of a man who's kind of got him uh, by the ball, so to speak. And uh, just when he thinks that he's been able to escape, he's about to die, and then he realizes he's he's never going to get free of this, uh, at least for now. So I really kind of enjoyed uh, this whole kind of heist. This was the Gambit book I wanted to read. Actually, I feel like uh, it wasn't perfect, but this was basically the setup issue for kind of the next few issues of him not really being free and ha being under the thumb of this unscrupulous man and having to commit you know thefts and, and jobs for this guy. Uh, plus, we're setting up a confrontation with Pete Wisdom and his MI13 uh, as uh, 
depicted in the last page. So I actually quite enjoyed this. This was a return to form. This is what I wanted from the book. Uh, now I just need Clayman to come back and make it look even better, and hopefully this book will be a lot better than the first uh, first arc, because the issues 3 and 4 just didn't work for me at all. So I gave this a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, next up is Green Lantern Corps, number 14, which I gave this a, a 6.5. Uh, there were some elements I liked. I liked I guess this is really, it feels like this is the only real book that's really addressing the rise of the Third Army because the new Guardian book really isn't as much. I guess it kind of is. And Green Lantern really not barely at all. Um, Tomasi and Fernando Pissarin are the are the creative team here. I, I, it, I'm, I'm torn because I really like Guy Gardner's character and this issue is a great kind of focus on who he is as a character, what he's doing, what he believes in. Um... But then he ends up, you know, just uh, kind of uh, resigning at the end because uh, he gets kind of into a fight and, with the Guardians because of his actions, and he he's no longer uh, he resigns for the Green Lantern Corps. Not really sure where that puts the character. Um, uh, I just this is supposed to be this Rise of the Third Army is supposed to be a crossover, and so far it's not interesting. The villains are horrible. Um, I don't care. I just kind of want it to be over with, and it's not even a real crossover because there's no linkage, so it feels like it means even less, except for we got these nice, stupid-looking zombie lantern things. Like, essentially, that's what they see, that's what they feel like. They're just these creatures that devour lanterns, and they take them over, and then they become this blob that just has no personality. Uh, I don't have any real interest in reading them, but I did like the focus on Guy Gardner. Uh, I wonder what's going to happen next with him now that he's not technically not a Green Lantern anymore, although apparently he's still wearing his Green Lantern clothes, which you wouldn't expect him to be wearing, but whatever. That's just a little nitpick. Uh, next up is New Avengers number 33. Uh, ah, New Avengers. I'm ready for you to be over, and I mean that in the kindest way. Bendis did a lot of good things with uh, the, the Avengers franchise uh, during his tenure. I mean, that he helped make them this major, mega-popular uh you know, franchise to the point where it never was before. I mean, we in the past we'd had we'd only ever had two Avengers books at a time, but suddenly we had New Avengers, then we had Mighty Avengers, and then later we had uh, Dark Avengers, and then we had Regular Avengers back, and then we had Avengers Academy. We had a, none of this would have really been possible without Brian Michael Bendis kind of kick, giving the Avengers a kick in the pants and making New Avengers happen in the first place. Now, granted. Uh, I've always kind of been sad that we've kind of gotten away from what I would call the classic Avengers stories. And if you want classic Avengers stories, go read Avengers Assembles Volume 1 to 5, like the trade paperbacks by Kurt Busiek and George Perez in the first couple of volumes, and then a, a host of other artists, including Kieran Dyer and Alan Davis, because that is classic Avengers stuff. Uh, this is this this more modern Avengers. Um, and New Avengers obviously has become more of the focus for that kind of storytelling because it's Luke Cage's team. I did not care for this issue at all. In fact, giving it a 6 out of 10 fault. Uh, a little bit uh, charitable, and I think that's partially because Michael Owen, Avon Oming, sorry, uh, is the one who did the artwork. Uh, his artwork doesn't really fit this type of story. I kind of would have liked uh, the artwork from the last couple issues by Gados to be back, but um, it's just I just don't care about the story. I mean, you have... Uh, Brother Voodoo's, sorry, Dr. Voodoo, I don't even know anymore, Jericho Drum's brother, I guess, come back, and he's kind of messing with people, and he's trying to mess with Dr. Strange, and it's all mystic, and, uh, I read this issue last Wednesday when it came out, and now that I'm reviewing it, which is a few days later, I just don't care and don't even remember it that well, because I remember reading it and being like, I can't wait for this to be over, why can't Hickman be writing New Avengers right now? And it doesn't help that 
every book that has a Marvel Now equivalent coming after it kind of feels like a lame duck book anyway. Like, not a lot of it matters. But this feels like it matters even less because Bendis is leaving the book. Uh, so it's it's the end of his tenure. It's the end of the book. The next book is going to be about something totally different. I just don't care. I don't care about even wrapping up the story. I never cared for the Brother Voodoo storyline to begin with. If we could just move on, I'd be much happier. Uh, next up, so I gave that a 6 out of 10. Next up is Phantom Stranger number 2. Speaking of books that aren't very good and don't make a lot of sense, Phantom Stranger number 2! Yay! Uh, do not care about this at all. I thought the first issue wasn't horrible, but this issue... Uh, Dan DiDio did not do himself a lot of, uh, favors here in terms of r- how we wrote this. Uh, Brent Anderson on pencils with Philip Tan on inks. Uh, the artwork's actually not all that bad. I just, the storyline doesn't make a it just isn't enjoyable. Um, last issue with Raven made more sense. This issue just didn't work for me. Um, ugh, I'm just flipping through this now and I, I don't even care. Like, I don't... I wanted to give all the new 52 books a genuine shot at maintaining my interest. The Zero issue wasn't bad. First issue wasn't bad either. These are okay. This issue, I just was like, I I don't care. Uh, these The artwork isn't, isn't amazing. Uh, the characters aren't that interesting at all. They're not captivating. Um... Ah, uh, I just I want to know why I have to care about this because a lot of characters like they'll have they'll, something will grab you something will be like you need to read this book because of this either it's got really good story really good artwork the characters are engaging or I care about the characters I don't know anything about Phantom Stranger and to be honest I don't care to I don't feel like he's a book a character who really needs his own book and own title I think he's a periphery character at best who's more interesting on the sidelines or just coming in once in a while I didn't really care for this five out of ten at best. Uh, next up is Red She-Elk number 59. Now, this was a book I was looking forward to because I really enjoyed the last issue. I did feel like this was a step back. That being said, it was still pretty good. Uh, the artwork is by... Um, oh, let me Give me one second. I can pull that up. Well, it's written by Jeff Parker still. And the artwork is by, I believe, uh, Puaglan or Pulagan. I apologize. I don't know. I actually know how to pronounce his, uh, his name. Um, I actually really enjoyed some of his artwork here. I mean... His version of Machine Man kind of reminds me a bit of Tron, and not necessarily in the best way, but, uh, sorry, it's by Carlo Pagulian and Wellington Aves. They split pencils. That's That was right. Sorry, I apologize about that. Uh, I really liked how they illustrated Machine Man. Uh, again, he kind of lights up in a bit of a Tron way, but I don't care, because some of the, the pages are just so clean, and he just looks so cool. That being said, I kind of missed the Aaron Stack persona and that look, but... The artwork here is incredibly enjoyable. It's a nice kind of uh, a chase. There's a chase sequence of kind of of types uh, as Machine Man tries to hunt uh, Red She-Hulk. I actually quite dug this, and uh, I like the Red She-Hulk book too. It's just interesting to see how they're writing the character, and she has a definite um, uh, motive, motivation in terms of what she's doing. And having Machine Man go after her is an interesting choice, but I kind of liked because it wasn't it wasn't something you'd necessarily expect, and it was just kind of cool to see how uh, X fifty one slash Aaron Stack slash Machine Man really uh, kind of uh, took on the job and how he kind of approached it. So I actually quite dug this. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to change my rating. I was going to give it a seven and a half. I give it an eight. Um, I can't wait till this comes out and collected because I do plan on getting this in trade and giving it to people who haven't given. She-Hulk or Red She-Hulk a chance at all because I think they'd be pleasantly surprised by how on point this book has been since Jeff Parker kind of changed the focus to Red She-Hulk as of last issue. This is really, really good stuff. 
Uh, next up is Saga number seven. Now, yes, for those listening, yay, finally I'm not talking about a Marvel and DC book that isn't just Manhattan Projects. Um, I recently picked up the trade of Saga, and I read it, and I gotta say, it was extremely good. I've been hearing a lot of good things about it, but it was extremely enjoyable. Um, it kind of made me sad, though, because now reading a single issue, it almost felt unnatural. I kind of feel like I want the entire series to be over before I read it, because I want to be able to devour it in, just in its entirety, because it's so good and so engrossing. And that you, they're building, uh, he's building such a large tapestry, uh, such a great world, and this issue really kind of expanded upon what we've seen before and kind of gave us hints as to where we could go next uh, with the story. Brian K. Vaughan obviously wrote it with Fiona Staples on artwork, this is just a very solid book. Um, this is, this issue, we, we learn more about uh, the Marco's parents uh, as they're kind of in the uh, in the picture now and seeing more about you know there's some, some creepy stuff here with a giant like I guess the the best word would be this weird uh, cycloptean no not cyclops because it's got three eyes but some weird three eyed hideous ogre monster who is gigantic and has a really hairy ball sack hanging out uh yeah if that sounds really weird and kind of twisted and disgusting it is so don't be surprised uh no this is really really cool stuff i'm interested to see where it goes because i think there's so much potential in this idea in the artwork and the story and oh this saga is a must read um yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. I hope it keeps a regular schedule because I think they were kind of on a regular schedule. Then they kind of took some time off and then not necessarily on purpose. Then the trade dropped and now here we got the seventh issue. So it is quite good though. I do I do definitely recommend picking it up. Or pick up the trade if you haven't read it yet and then pick up this issue because after reading the trade, you'll want more. And this is where to get it. So they gave that a 9 out of 10. Uh, Suicide Squad number 7. Sorry, not number 7. Number 14. Um... I think I gave this a 7 out of 10, and to be honest, most of that, I haven't followed the last couple of issues, so I'm surprised the Deadshot's dead, and I don't even know if that's really true, but what really made me want to read this issue was that it was part of the Death of the Family crossover, because we have Joker showing up and basically getting Harley Quinn to go with him. That, those, that aspect is absolutely creepy, but extremely well done. A lot of the things that happen in the issue, I haven't been following it, so I don't really know exactly what's going on. It was alright, but the aspects that were all about Joker and Harley Quinn are just messed up. Uh, just seeing how he kind of treats her in their relationship and how now that he's back and how he feels about the fact that, you know, she went to go see his, his, his weird hideous face when it was uh, at the, the Gotham, uh, Gotham Central, I guess. It's just really creepy stuff. And then the last page when he's kind of hanging her up on by a chain and it's really, it's very messed up and creepy, but ex- at the same time, extremely authentic to the characters of Joker and Harley Quinn. So I'm interested to see where they go with that. Um, so, again, most of my interest here was in that storyline, but that did seem to be the brunt of the storytelling in this issue. So it's not like I was, you know, I was buying this because this was one of the big uh, Death of the Family issues, and then we only got, you know, a couple pages. We got a, a significant portion that was devoted to this crossover. But if you're a regular reader of Suicide Squad, I think you'll still get a lot out of this because you do get a good sense of what Harlequin is going through, and as she's one of the main characters here, that still makes sense. I gave that a 7 out of 10. I get it would have been higher if we just had more of the Harlequin and Joker stuff. The other stuff I didn't really care much about, and it kind of affected my enjoyment of the issue, which is understandable. Uh, next up is Thor, God of Thunder, number one. 
I can't say I really liked this issue all that much, and to be honest, I didn't think I would, and I don't usually prejudge comics, but ever since I kind of heard about the, the generic principle behind this, that we've kind of be seeing a story told in three different time frames, it made me a little bit less interested, uh, although I like Jason Aaron, and I really like Asad Ribic, although I must say this is not his best work, because... Now, it's a monthly book, so he didn't really have the time to spend to make it as gorgeous as usual. Uh, we're seeing a jerky, you know, young version of Thor who comes across a butchered god. You've got current Thor who... Now, this part didn't... I don't understand this, if this even happens. But someone on an alien planet prays to Thor. So pray, Thor hears that prayer and, and comes visits him and visits them and gives them, you know, water and, you know, makes sure their drought goes away. And then he, he goes to find their gods... And he finds him dead, uh, and then he kind of gets attacked. And uh, what does this mean? And then in the future, uh, Thor, you know, Thor in the future is the only one, only as guardian left, and he's fighting against this horde. And he remembers how it all started years and years ago with a dead god. Um, I just, I didn't really get, really enjoy this all that much myself. Uh, it, it wasn't necessarily bad. It was just. Uh, I didn't really care for the storytelling. I mean, I haven't liked Mighty Thor in a while, but this just felt even weirder. I I guess the problem is is that when JMS started Thor, you had a clear and concise vision for this is where Thor is now, Asgard, Asgard is on Earth. Then a lot, there have been a lot of changes since then. A lot of things have happened to Asgard, and I don't really understand the status quo all that much. And then Fear itself happened, which didn't help all that much to make things more clear or concise. Instead, it just made it more confusing and murky. So at this point, I don't even know if I care, because Asgard as a concept is just so messed up in the Marvel Universe now. And not that I want them to hit a reset button and make everything back to the way it was, but I just want it to be easy to understand so that if someone's like, hey, what's the status quo of Asgard and Thor? I could be like, well, this is what it is. Not, well, I think there's, there was Asgard and Asgardia, uh, and then there was the weird old mother, but then there's also the old father, but he was in another dimension, but then he wasn't. Like, no, I don't want to be confused anymore. Can you just lay it out for me, please, somebody? If you want to email me and let me know this is the exact what's been happening, please do so, because I, I don't get it, and I want to. Um, but I just don't understand. Um, and I guess that's just my fault as a reader, but I just kind of lost track and lost interest. And I didn't really care for this book because it was just kind of jumping around and I didn't feel like, I guess my problem with that kind of storyline is that unless you're going to have future Thor come back and somehow change his future, what's really the point of the story? We're just kind of seeing something that will end up coming back and kind of killing everyone later. Like, I'm not so sure how... I, I'm interested to see what Jason Aaron does with it, but so far he hasn't really impressed me or really given me a lot of hope that this is going to be something I'm going to rave about as being one of the best Thor stories ever, because I don't doubt it's going to be on the short list. Uh, next up is Venom number 27. I cannot wait for this book to be done, Minimum Carnage. Uh, Minimum Carnage sounded like a cool, fun idea. Then the Microverse stuff happened, and I just didn't care. You still have some nice artwork, uh, but the actual... Uh, this just This just isn't that interesting. At the end of the day, uh, Colin Bunn on is uh, the writer of the book with Shelby doing art. Uh, the less said about this, the better in some ways. I mean, the artwork's not bad to be, to be fair, and there's some good action beats here. I just I feel disconnected as a reader that this should be, this should be really cool, seeing Venom and Carnage fight, all this stuff. But instead, it just feels like uh, 
they didn't really put a lot of thought into how these characters actually make sense to have a crossover in the microverse. Uh, Kane is a really street-level guy, and I kind of liked his adventure so far in Houston, and seeing him kind of ripped away from that to do this weird stuff in the microverse didn't really fit, and even Flash Thompson, like, he's gone through some weird stuff, too, uh, you know, with the Descendants and Secret Avengers and his own uh, shit in the, the Venom comic. I just don't think that this was a necessary move. Uh, I gave this uh, 6 out of 10. It just didn't engage me. I want to be engaged with this book, and so far Colin Bunn has not done a good job of doing that because, I mean, he first he had his first arc, which had the, the callback to the, the Hellstrom stuff from the Circle of Four. I didn't care about that. And now he got Minimum Carnage, and that just hasn't really worked for me either. It's kind of misfired. So it's unfortunate that I want to enjoy these books, and so far uh, the Scarlet Spider issues that and the Venom issues that have been part of Minimum Carnage just have not really been able to deliver for me as a reader. Uh, next up is Wolverine and the X-Men number 20. Speaking of book, books that don't really you know, do a lot for me as a reader, well, this this issue is one of them. Um, I guess the highlight is you have Archangel, oh, sorry, not Archangel, Angel fighting Mystique and uh, a new Silver Samurai, which I was not aware of, and I didn't know. I mean, name Shingen reminds me of Shingen... Uh, Yashida, not Shingen's Harada, so I don't really know who that's supposed to be about. Basically, Angel tries to protect uh, this kid who's a new mutant, and he's trying to be an actual angel, and he's trying to protect people, uh, these new mutants, if they, if they come under fire from uh, villains, etc. And that part's kind of neat, but it just drags on a lot. Um, and in the last kind of page, I don't really know what this is supposed to be, except for seeing Sauron, and I guess a new weird version of, Mo of uh, Mojo, and I don't even know what's happening, but it didn't interest me at all. Um, so this this really this issue felt like a misfire. The last two issues were pretty good. Obviously, uh, issue number eighteen was spectacular, although it had that sad ending with Brew. And then last issue was pretty good because he got the fallout from that and kind of got an idea of what where they were going next. Although again, it felt a little disjointed because it felt like it was in yet another kind of you know we're gonna have some time to set up a new future stuff. Um, whereas I just kind of wanted them to tell us all the story. And then this issue just felt like a bit of a bishmash, and I didn't really care for it. Six and a half out of ten for this one. Uh, the artwork in this issue was by, uh, Sanders, with art, with, sorry, with writing by Jason Aaron. Uh, so yeah, this didn't really do it. Steve Sanders did the art. Next up is, in our last book, is X-Men Legacy. Now, I was really excited about this, and then I read this, and it kind of felt like a mess. Uh, part of it was really good. Um, part of it was the stuff with Legion kind of having a, um, now I'm forgetting the word, like a sensei or like a, you know, a spiritual leader that he's kind of dealing with. And I thought that was really cool, having kind of mess, sorry, I'm not thinking of the words very well, but basically he's been able to kind of conquer some of his demons and try to harness his powers in a proper way. And it was just really cool to see him doing that. Um, and kind of taking uh, taking a little bit of uh, possession of his powers, and he's got this guru helping him do it. And then when his dad dies, things change, and kind of his mind goes crazy. He kills a lot of people, and also he kind of every, all the safeguards he had in his mind, everything that he'd been able to do, uh, it all kind of disappears, and suddenly all the voices in his head are going to be free again. I guess. Um, I guess that's what kind of gave me pause. I was really excited that maybe we were going to get uh, a Legion who was able to kind of harness his destiny, harness his powers, and kind of be more like the David Hollow we saw in Legion Quest, although not as mentally disturbed. But being able to really kind of take his life by the balls and say, 
this is who I am. I'm able to, I'm, I want to control this. And now my dad's dead, and I'm going to try and do what he would have done. I'm going to try and be his prodigal son. I never was while he was alive, but I'm going to make him proud and deaf. Um, but instead, we get more of the weird kind of... It just feels like the more they bring him back, the more we have all this weird shit in his head where he's got all these crazy voices and there's some weird lock-up in his mind. And I get what they're going for with that, but it just it didn't interest me and I didn't really care. Uh, so uh, I want I want to enjoy this book so much more than I have so far. But maybe that'll change. Maybe the next issue will change. I really like the idea that he had a guru, though, and it was helping kind of a, uh, attain a, a centeredness, a spiritual centeredness. And... Uh, and now he's lost that, so I'm wondering where the character will go. Um, this was written by Simon Spurrier, and the art was by Tanning Huat. Sorry. Uh, so the books we did not get a chance to uh, talk about this week, books I either, to be honest, didn't care to read them, and I just couldn't bear it, or I just uh, didn't have time, include the following. Uh, Demon Knights number 14. I know it's a really good book. I'm just a little bit behind in the book, and I didn't get a chance to get to it. Frankenstein, Agent of Shade, number 14. I looked at the first couple pages, didn't care. I haven't really followed the book at all. And although I've been reading most of the Rot World stuff in the Swamp Thing and Animal Man books, I just did not really care a lot about this, so I let it go. Grifter, number 14. I did, again, I barely read that book, and I don't really care to. Legion Lost, number 14th. Same thing. Ravagers, number 6. Same thing. First X-Men, number 4. I read number, issue number 3. Absolutely hated it. I could not do this myself. I had limited time this week, and I had to pick. Do I want to read a book that I know I'm not going to like, or read a book I'm not sure I'm, um, that I'm not going to like? Of course, I'm going to go with one I'm not sure of, because otherwise I'd just be causing myself pain for no reason. Uh, next up is Marvel Universe vs. Avengers, number 2. Didn't read that. Or Ultimate Comics, Ultimates, number 18. Extreme X-Men, number 6. Superboy, number 14. And Team 7, number 2. So that's everything that didn't get covered. Um, but thanks again for joining us. For uh, and Actually, I just realized, X-Men Legacy, number 1, I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. In case I forgot, because sometimes I do that. So thanks for joining us for episode number 27 of Comic Shenanigans as we looked at the books that were released on Wednesday, November the 14th. Uh, make sure to uh, stay tuned uh, this coming week or in a few days. This is this is going to go up on uh, Sunday the 18th. So on the uh, 21st, we're going to have uh, our next Heroclix episode. It's Talking Heroclix uh, November edition is going to be coming up. And then our next uh, special episode will be episode number 30, which will be coming out on the 28th of, October, of November. And I'm not really sure what it's going to be yet. It's either going to be a discussion on Avengers Disassembled, or I'm going to be going through the Marvel Backlist catalog that recently got released. Uh, it's a free uh, it's a free book that you can kind of pick up at your uh, local comic book store. And it basically has a backlist chronology of all the trades that are currently in print for the most part, and how, kind of recommended orders and where they would fit. and It's kind of interesting to go through, so I plan to go through that with one of my uh, regular guests, Nathan Strzok, to kind of discuss uh, you know, what our thoughts on it, which ones we have, which ones we'd love to have, which books aren't in trade that we wish are, which out-of-print stuff that we wish was. Um, so there'll be discussion along those lines. Again, I'm not sure which episode's going to be going up on the 28th. It's either that or the Avengers Disassembled uh, discussion, and then um, we'll just kind of move from there. If you have any comments, questions, Questions, concerns, what have you, you can send them to comic shenanigans at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook. We do not have a logo yet, um, but we're hoping to have one up soon. If you have any uh, design ideas or something that you think you'd like to see in our logo, let us know. Drop us a line, either on the Facebook page or at the email, because we are currently working on something so that when we do finally have something uh, set up, we'll be able to have our very own Comic Shenanigans app. 
Uh, also, I wanted to thank all our regular listeners because uh, we've now finally gone above 1,200 downloads, uh, which may not seem like a lot, but we're just a, still a relatively new podcast. We've been around for three months now. Uh, this is our 27th episode, but we're starting to build a little bit of a uh, fan base, so we really appreciate those loyal listeners who are giving us a shot and maybe recommending us to someone else, and uh, you know we really appreciate it. So thanks once again for joining us for Comic Shenanigans. I'm Adam Chapman, and we'll see you next time.